Well, good morning, friends, and welcome. Could I ask you to stand, please? As we sing our first hymn together this morning, we're really singing a prayer, uh, which is a plea to God to help us use everything that makes us who we are for his glory and for his praise. So please join me and our singers at the front in singing, Fill Thou My Life, O Lord My God. Father, by whose word we are created, 
and by whose love we are redeemed. Give us power to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, that we may be filled to the measure of all his fullness. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome again, and a very warm welcome if it's your first time with us, or if you still feel a bit new at St Matthew's, we're glad to have you joining us, uh, both those of you who are here in the building and those of you who are joining us online. And we've got so much to look forward to this morning. After a, a week of prayer and fasting, uh, for many of us this last week, it really feels like the year proper is getting underway, and we've got a really big launch to this term of teaching. Well, we'll be, we'll be exploring in a very practical way what Jesus meant when he was asked the question about the greatest commandment. And he actually answered it in two parts by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and all your soul and love your neighbour as yourself. And uh, Nathan Campbell, uh, one of our ministers here, who especially focuses on night church, uh, will be opening up God's word to us and really on that word love and what love for God looks like practically. So lots to look forward to this morning as we, we have opportunity to pray uh, together. Uh, and uh, Pamela will be leading us uh, after the sermon in, in that way as we share together in the Lord's Supper and as we have more opportunity to sing. Uh, we'll also be watching a little video. We, um, we, we took time a, a couple of weeks ago to really focus our prayers on the, the summer youth camp and a little video has come together so that we get to see a little bit of the, the way in which God answered our prayers at the youth camp recently. But right now we're going to affirm what it is that we believe about God, his greatness and his goodness in the words of the Apostles' Creed. So is it too much to ask you to stand again? Let, let's do that, let's do that. As we say together, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. We're now going to see that video of summer camp, followed by the video news and the reading of the scriptures. Home time! Can you show me with an expression on your face how you guys are feeling right now? Tim?
wasn't even close. Jesus had it all and laid that down for you. What's that? Fishies. Thoughts, things? Um, it's pretty overwhelming. It's like just, you really just get to see God, you know, just the, the sky lighting up. It's pretty impressive.
Is this how you expected this to go? Yeah, that's great. That'll make the edit. Is that a good video? <laughs> that was an excellent video. Can I see it? Can I see it? So we can certainly thank God for the way that he's been at work amongst our young people, not least for the leaders who are committed not just to being with them at the camp, but uh, leading them through the course of the year. Please do keep them in your prayers. We've got some more video news. Hi there, Scott here. We hope you feel welcome at our service today. If you're with us for the first time or would like to get in touch, you can access our online connect card via the QR code on these little business cards in the seat in front of you. We would also be keen for you to do that if we can help you out in any way at all. Please don't hesitate. First announcement today is all about Alpha and the Alpha course. So if you or someone you know is interested in exploring the Christian faith, we have the Alpha course kicking off again this term. Alpha is an eight-week course looking at the big questions of life through a Christian lens. Now, it really isn't for established Christians as such, but for those people who are looking into the faith for the first time or first time in a long time. We've got a fabulous team of hosts and helpers ready to go. So have a think and pray about who you might like to invite along. The launch night for Alpha is on February the 14th. That's Valentine's Day. Uh, in the Dali Smith building, the auditorium, and the launch night is a great opportunity to give Alpha a try. And there's no obligation to come back after the launch night, so it really is an excellent thing to be inviting people along to, really just to give it a go. There will be dinner provided. It is on the house, so no downsides at all. For more info or to RSVP, please use the Connect Card code on the little cards. Now also, uh, a notice about growth groups. We're now into February, uh, which means it's just about time for our growth groups to start up for the year. This coming week, we have our first leader session for the year, which means the week after, groups will start in earnest. Of course, our growth groups are the way that we make our big congregations smaller. They're little cells of growth and discipleship and community and care, and we think they're central to the life of our church. I think you want to settle into a congregation before you jump into a growth group, but once you've done that, groups will really extend your connection and your growth here at St Matthews. The Night Church guys, the digital natives, are organising their groups using a survey that uh, Night Church you'll hear more about very soon. For the earliest services, we've got some space in our mixed groups that meet on Tuesday and Wednesday evenings and on Thursday mornings, but we have mixed groups, men's groups, ladies groups, evening groups and morning groups across different days of the week, meeting in different places. So I really think there's going to be a group that you can jump into. And of course, we'd really like to help you do that. So once again, please let me know via this little Connect card. Well, that's all from me today. I really hope you do enjoy the rest of our service together. Before we hear from the scriptures, we're going to sing together our offertory hymns, so please be standing and let's sing together.
Church. We have two Bible readings this morning, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. And the first of those is from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, and you'll find that in the Bibles in front of you uh, on page 182 in the Church Bibles. So it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And the reading from the New Testament is from 1 John 4, verses 7 through 16, and you'll find that in your pew Bibles on page 1,230. It's 1,230, and we're in 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 16. From verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, loved, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in, lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is the word of God. Thank you, Colin. Morning, everyone. What an amazing passage that is, isn't it? Never get tired of hearing it read. I hope you're the same. Let's pray as we get started together. What great love, Father, you have lavished on us that we should be called your children. And that is what we are. That is what we are. Amen. Amen. We're going to kick off 
the entire series together this term by asking ourselves a question. And I know when someone up here asks a question, it's often rhetorical. This isn't a rhetorical question, okay? I actually want you to answer this question in your own heads. Ready? What do you want? What do you want? Now, in some contexts, that's a pretty trivial question. I uh, just got back from a trip to the US, and uh, one of the things that kept surprising me while we were over there is the sheer amount of choice that you get with everything. You just walk down the cereal aisle, right, and it goes for miles. That's <laughs> like, surely you don't need that much cereal. But with food in particular, the, the choice is staggering. One morning we had breakfast at an IHOP, and IHOP, IHOP stands for International House of Pancakes. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to go to an IHOP? Uh, the waitress comes around, you know, what do you want? There's that question, what do you want? Well, I'm going to have the steak and eggs. How do you want your eggs? It turns out there are eight different ways you can have your eggs. So many different ways that they've actually got a little guide at the bottom of the menu giving you all the different options. Uh, do you want them sunny side up, or over easy, or over hard? Whatever that means. Do you want them as a Benedict, or as an omelette, or do you want them, oh, you want them scrambled? Well, is that gonna be with the yolks, or just the egg whites? <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, you know? Uh, then, of course, they wanna know how you want your steak, you know? So are you gonna have it, are you gonna have it well done? You're gonna have it medium? You're gonna have it medium rare? You're gonna have it rare? You're gonna have it blue? Then you get to choose a side. Is it gonna be the toast, or the bacon, or the sausage, or the hash brown? Oh, you want pancakes? because of course you're at the IHOP. Yeah, I'll take the pancakes. Well, what kind of syrup do you want on them? It's like, I thought there was only one kind of syrup. <laughs> it's like, no, there's, there's strawberry, there's blueberry, there's chocolate, there's salted caramel, there's butter pecan, and there's original. It's like, <laughs> that's just one order for one person. Took the poor waitress like 45 minutes to take her order down. What do you want? When it comes to syrup choices, that is a pretty trivial question. And, and yet, in another context, there is almost no other question that is more important than that one. What do you want? What do you want? In the totality of life, what is at the top of your wants? So the way you answer this question will expose who you are. That's how big a question it is, right? At your very core, it exposes where you're going, the orientation of your life, because it reveals the things that are most important to you, the things that you cherish, your very strongest desires, what it is that you truly love. What do you want, ultimately, is a question that reveals what's going on in here, in our hearts. You know, someone wants to ask God that question. What do you want? from us, and although it wasn't quite asked in that way, and the person who was asking it certainly didn't imagine they were speaking to God at that point, but I'm referring to the time in Mark's Gospel when a lawyer bails Jesus up and asks him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now that is a fair enough question given the fact that there were like 613 different Jewish laws at the time. It's like, pick one. But without even realizing it, this lawyer is actually fronting up to God, and he's basically asking him, what do you want 
from us? What is it that's most important to you? Imagine having that opportunity, face-to-face with God, asking him that question. Jesus' response actually exposes to us the very heart of God. It's a mammoth answer. Many of us are going to be familiar with how he answers. He says this, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Interesting. You know, some of us will be so familiar with these words that uh, we kind of miss how interesting this answer really is. Like, just try asking some of your family or friends who don't know God, ask them what they imagine it is that God wants from them. What do you think they'd say? Loyalty? Maybe unthinking obedience? Maybe blind faith? Maybe God wants their worship? Or God wants their money? Or God wants their attention or their time? Maybe all he wants is for them just to be happy. To be happy and to live as as good a life as possible. I don't know. I mean, you could try that this week and, and see what they say. Be fascinated to know. But I would be surprised if they said love. I'd be surprised if they said love, that God wants their love. And yet that's what Jesus says. God's answer to that question, what do you want, is love. And love. It's in there twice, right? So emphatic, in there twice. God wants us to love him and to love our neighbor. And as familiar as that might be to you, it really is interesting. Of all the things God could possibly want from you, the thing he wants most is your love. He wants to be your chief desire. Now, it is worth saying here in Mark's gospel, this is not a new thought that Jesus is sharing. He's quoting directly from two different parts of ancient Jewish law. We read one of them before. Uh, from the book of Deuteronomy, which was before Israel had even entered the promised land. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Now in the Jewish faith, uh, this actually became a prayer known as the Shema. And to this day, Orthodox Jews will still recite these words morning and night. Love of neighbor was also not new to Mark's gospel. It features in Old Testament law, the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. And so what Jesus is saying here is not not groundbreaking, it's not revolutionary in one sense, but what is new is the way that he pulls, pulls these two things together, pairs them together, and then with divine authority, he declares there is no commandment greater than these. This is what God wants from us, in other words, to love Upwardly and outwardly. That's what he wants. And ultimately, he wants love from us because that's who he is. God is love. We, we just had that read from the book of 1 John as well, didn't we? God is love. And we heard that phrase twice in the passage, verses 8 and 16. And it's worth noting, again, very familiar, we're very familiar with it, but... 
It's interesting to note the fact that you can't, John can't state that any more strongly than he does. God is love. Like, he doesn't say God is loving, although he could have, like God is. And he also doesn't say God is the greatest example of love that we have, though he is that too. But John writes, God is love. He is love. He's the very definition of what it means to love. And what is that? What does it mean to actually love? Oh, here's one idea. It means to long for and work towards someone's best. To long for and work towards someone's best. Committing yourself to someone's good. In the case of God, that means being other person-centered, someone else. And he's not just like that, John tells us, God is that. He is love. And if God is love, that means God, that love is both fundamental and original. It predates creation. Think about that for a moment. Even before we were on the scene, there was love because there was God. Now, the sharp ones amongst us might, might then ask the question, well, how can that be? How can that be? How can other person-centered love exist when there's no other people around, right? No one else for God to love. How does that work? Well, friends, that is the brilliance of the Trinity. One God in three persons. Father, Son, Spirit. God's actually in loving relationship within himself. Within himself. He is a relationship. And because God is love, because God is love, that actually makes love an ultimate reality. An ultimate reality. I'm reading an amazing book at the moment. Deb actually got me onto it, which I'm very thankful for. It's called... Biblical Critical Theory by an Aussie professor actually called Christopher Watkin. Fascinating book. I like the way he puts it. He says this, love is the epicenter, the epicenter of the distinctively Christian way of being in the world. Not power, not respect or tolerance, not equality, justice, freedom, enlightenment or submission. Love is the overall shape of Christian ethics, the form of the human participation in created order. Now, it's a little wordy, but notice in particular both the first and the last lines, right? Love is the epicenter, he says. When everything else gets boiled down, the thing that that, that remains, what's left, is love. It's fundamental and it's original. Notice also at the end there, this is not just for the Christian, but love is the form of the human participation in created order. You get that? Love's not just a Christian thing, it's actually woven into the fabric of our humanity. See, back at the beginning, when God created us in his image, he created us to be lovers, just like he is. He created us to long for and work towards someone else's best, just like he does. He made us to love him and to love each other. You know, the very first claim the Bible ever makes about humanity 
is that we've been created by God and for God. Very first claim the Bible makes about us, by God and for God, for us to be in relationship with him. And friends, do you know what that means? If we've been created by another and for his purpose, then that actually means you and I only make sense in relationship to him. It's a bit like the painting, Blue Poles. Anyone actually seen that painting before? A couple of you, perhaps? It's easily the most famous controversial artwork that Australia owns. It's currently hanging down in the National Art Gallery in Canberra. The Whitlam government, for those of you who were around then, might remember, purchased this piece back in 1973 for a cool $1.3 million, which sounds like a lot of money now, but was a lot of money back then. And uh, at the time, it actually made it the most expensive piece of American art ever sold. Set a record. Heaps of people were outraged when we made that purchase. The waste of money. I read an article this week uh, which claimed that today, Blue Poles, this picture, is worth $500 million. Half a billion dollars. Isn't that staggering? Not a bad investment, is it, for 50 years? But, you know, without any context, that could just be a house painting accident, couldn't it? like a whoops. <laughs> it's, it looks kind of like the drop sheet you would chuck under your ladder. But of course, it's not an accident. It's an intentional creation. And in fact, it's one of the world's foremost examples of abstract expressionism. And its creator, Jackson Pollock, is considered one of the most important artists of the 20th century. Blue poles, which we have hanging down in Canberra, three hours drive from here, right? That is actually one of the final, uh, the final instalment in a series of his works which ended up changing the course of modern art. See, there's a, there's a creator and an intention, and that is the difference between worthless splashes and half a billion dollars. You see, the painting's extraordinary value only truly makes sense in relationship to its creator and intention. So it is with you and I. We are not accidental splashes on a cosmic drop sheet, are we? We are God's intentional creation with a final installment in his creative masterwork. And that means that we only really make sense in relationship to him. It's the difference between a mess and a masterpiece. And friends, humanity, we are the latter. Each of us like a priceless work of art, not because of anything you've done, but because of him. Because the creator of the universe spun you into being for a purpose to be in relationship with him, to love like he loves. God wants you to want him, not because he's desperate or needy, but because other person-centered love is his thing. Remember, he is love. 
So God's created you to want him with everything that you possibly possess in every area of your life and every corner of your being, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength with everything and always. And my goodness, that should be like the easiest thing for us to do, right? The easiest thing, because this is a God whose love has driven him to be so good to us, hasn't it? He's given us this amazing world that just abounds with blessing upon blessing, so common, in fact, that we miss the fact that we're surrounded by his blessings. He's also given us his own life, shed his own blood as the sun came down to die in our place. And we're going to remember and celebrate that a little later on. He's given us the gift of his spirit, along with this incredible promise of resurrection, hope, and eternal life with him. I mean, when you put it like that, right? I like the way Paul Tripp describes, describes it in his book called Awe. He says, true love is a state of awe. You are enthralled with the other person, enthralled with what he or she has brought into your life, enthralled that he or she would choose to live with a person like you. I wonder if that resonates with you, true love. Enthralled. I love that word, enthralled. But that's how, that's how we should be in our love towards God. And given how good he has been to us, that should be the easiest, most natural thing in the world. And yet, is it? Is that your experience? Is that how you would describe your love for God, that, that you're enthralled with him? When I asked us all that question at the start, what do you want? I wonder, what did you say? Did your answer sound anything like Jesus's, you know? I want to love God and my neighbor more. Like, who said that? Hand goes up, well done, good and faithful servant. But I will hazard a guess, the reason that you want to love God more is precisely because you're aware of just how often you don't. You want it more. Because the truth is that we don't, do we? We're not enthralled with him, not all the time, and, and not in every way, and not with everything we have. And look, when we're honest, we're not always the most loving neighbors to those around us, are we? And it's basically because we, we love ourselves too much. We're too busy longing for and working towards our own best, aren't we? So we end up loving things like our wealth and the freedom that it brings. We love our success and the recognition and the praise that we get because of it. We love the security and the comfort and the satisfaction that comes from, from having a family. We love the prospect of travel, the adventure and the possibilities that await us. We love sex and the pleasure that it promises us. And we love manly. Let's be honest, right? We love manly, don't we? We love living here in Sydney, all the blessings that flow from being in one of the safest, richest, most beautiful parts of the whole world. Most of all, though, we're just enthralled with ourselves. And all of those other loves are actually just in service of that one. Self-love. Friends, that's tragic. 
It's really tragic because God's created us to be other person-centered, to love upwardly and outwardly. And instead, our love just naturally curves inwards. We end up keeping it all to ourselves. But there's good news. God is willing to forgive our misplaced love. As we heard last week in the wrap-up of Esther, God offers to rescue us from our mess when we come to Him in repentance and faith and confess our lack of love. We're going to get a chance to do that straight after this. He forgives us, doesn't He? He forgives us. He offers us His mercy and His grace, and He offers it to us in abundance, more than we need, because He loves us. Just as we read in 1 John, right? This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The other bit of good news is that when it comes to our lack of love, we are no longer helpless. I mean, initially we are, but when God makes His home in our hearts, when He takes up residency in here by His Spirit, he makes it possible for us to pursue Him, for us to participate in, in cultivating and curating the desires of our hearts. Now, they go by lots of names, godly habits, spiritual disciplines, practices. If you were with us back in 2020, we, we spent some time thinking about this idea in a series that we called, What Are You Doing? Anyone remember that one? I wonder how are you tracking with what you picked up in that series? Any of those habits managed to stick? This term, we're kind of coming back to explore godly habits, but this time we're going to be looking at them through the lens of the two great love commandments. How do you love God with all your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength? What does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself, and what role? might godly habits play in helping us drive our love for God deeper? The thing that's helpful about this approach, I think, is that it really should ground us in love, right? As Jesus says, that's what the Christian life is all about. Before it's a set of rules to follow, before it's a club to join, before it's a pastime to partake in, before it's a hobby to hone or a lifestyle to live, when you boil it all down, at the heart of this thing is a relationship. A relationship between you, him, and us. And so the, all the practices that we're going to unpack together and think about and reflect on across the next seven weeks, whether it's Sabbath and scripture or silence and solitude or hospitality and friendship, we actually don't do any of them out of a sense of duty. We don't do it out of guilt or out of fear, or in order to get something, we, we do it in the service of a relationship. A real, genuine, living, breathing, growing, changing relationship with God. That's what this is all about, right? Reshaping and reforming our desires so that over the course of our lives, by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we are more and more and more enthralled with the God who loves us. 
when we got back uh, from three weeks on holidays, we rolled into the driveway, and what's the first thing that greeted us, do you think? The lawn was getting long. That's not my backyard, by the way, but you get the idea. The lawn was getting long, the weeds had started shooting up, the edges were messy, the hedges were overgrown. I mean, that's the first thing you feel like doing after a long haul flight, isn't it? Going and grabbing the whippersnipper. But I wonder if for many of us, the state of my backyard that day is a little bit like the state of our hearts right now. Almost as if you've been on holidays from your faith for a while. You've let your relationship with God just get a little unruly, a little messy. Maybe you've noticed weeds have started popping up around the place. Decisions or desires that they really have no place in the heart of one who loves God. Or maybe it's simply been a lack of time and attention that you've, you've been giving to it, that you've been tending to. Maybe you've just been preoccupied with other things. Or maybe you've been mowing every week and watering the flowers every second day, but not much else, not much else. Maybe there are things that you never even thought of doing before, like edging and trimming and fertilizing. Maybe there are new practices and habits for you to try out this term. And what a difference some of those things might make to help the garden of your heart really flourish. What is the state of your backyard? Where is your heart at? What do you want? Are you enthralled with God the way he's created you to be? I can't think of a better time for us to be asking those kinds of questions of ourselves than right now as the new year kicks off. And I'm praying this is going to be a hands dirty, sweat on the brow kind of term for all of us. Are you ready to roll up your sleeves? Before I close in prayer, we're going to just have a moment to reflect on, I'll leave the questions up on the screen for you to read. Take a few moments to pray and to reflect. Perhaps you'd like to ask God to reveal to you areas in your life that, that, that you might need to give your attention to this term. And then I'll close in prayer in a few moments. pray. Father God, loving you should be the easiest thing. And so we are sorry when we love ourselves more than we love you. Help us this term to be enthralled with you, that our love for you may abound in every area of our lives, heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing again now, and then after that, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. Please stand and sing.
says in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now with thanksgiving for your goodness and loving kindness shown in so many ways. Give us thankful hearts so you, we can praise you with our words and our lives all our days. We come to you now with our prayers and petitions and we humbly seek your mercy. As we have heard your word today, expose those areas of our lives where we fail to love you with all our heart. Transform us to be wholehearted disciples of the Lord Jesus. Loving Father, we pray for family routines as students return to school and university, particularly for those who have started in kindergarten or year seven this week. We pray for the logistics in family life as after school activities gear up this week with all that that entails for family life where parents are working, and especially we pray for grandparents who are involved. We pray for the staff of schools, colleges, and universities, that they are prepared to face the educational, emotional, and interpersonal challenges that come with their role. We pray now for our church as key ministries start up such as Friday Night Youth Group, English as a Second Language, Minimats, Mobile Pantry, and Bible Study Groups such as Inspire, KYB, Soulmates, and Men's Smoko. 
We pray for those who attend these events to be blessed and uplifted through hearing your word and being part of Christian community. We pray too for our new term of teaching, all your heart, that we would give the Lord all our heart and not just the part that's left over after we have gratified our other interests and passions. May we seek first his kingdom. Merciful God, we pray for the Alpha course starting here on the 14th of February as the big questions of life are explored. We give you thanks for the excellent team members in place. We pray for many people who don't know the hope of the gospel message to come and be overtaken with gratitude for what the Lord has done for them. Dear God of hope, Fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray all these prayers through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, Pamela. As we share together in the Lord's Supper, it will help a lot if you have one of our little communion packs. So if you don't, could you raise your hand? And Vivian's got a whole tray of them up the back there. If you need a communion pack, do that. And for the rest of us, once you've got one, it, it would be really helpful to take the, um, the packaging off the top, the plastic first, and then the foil. So we're ready to share in the bread and the cup when it gets to that point. I'm going to read again for us that section from 1 John 4. It's quite stunning, isn't it, that it doesn't just say what a great example of love God is or describe God as being loving, but to be able to say in one sentence that God is love. God is love. That he, he defines love. So it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the reason why we so often have this little ceremonial meal when we come together on a Sunday is to remember that atoning sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, which demonstrates beyond question that God is love. Yes, he is loving and he's a wonderful example of love, but he is love itself. It's a beautiful thing to recognise that at the heart of the universe there is a God who loves. But it's troubling when we consider our loves and the things we long for, which fall far short of those two simple but simply profound laws that Jesus recalled, loving God with everything that makes us who we are loving our neighbour as ourselves. So it's very fitting that we pray as we prepare to share in this little meal a prayer of confession. I'll give you a moment to prepare yourself and then we'll pray together with the words that come up on the screen.
Shall we pray? Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent. According to the promise declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And friends, isn't it wonderful to know that as an expression of his love, God is willing to forgive us our misplaced love. Here are the words that describe the way in which Jesus showed his disciples what would take place when he went to the cross. The scriptures say on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after the meal, Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Before we take the bread and drink from the cup, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Lord God, may the cup we share be for us a participation in the blood of Christ. And may the bread that we eat be a participation in the body of Christ. Seal to us the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. May we hold fast to what we have received and keep our hearts loyal to you and enable us to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, let's take this bread and as we eat, let's remember the body of Christ that was given for us and let's feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And as we drink from the cup, let's remember the blood of Christ that brought about the new covenant. And as we consider Christ, let's be thankful. Now the wonder of the cross is the coming of the Spirit. We're not alone as we seek to love God with everything that makes us who we are and to love our neighbour. We're not helpless, but we have the help of God to draw on. So as we thank God for the atoning sacrifice of Christ, let's also seek his ongoing blessing. Shall we pray this thanksgiving and dedication prayer? 
Lord and Heavenly Father, in your loving kindness, accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Grant that by the merits and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may receive forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. With gratitude for all your mercies, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, what a great start to this series in which over the next almost couple of months, we'll be teasing out practically how we can together build disciplines into our life, not so that we've got a whole bunch of laws that we have to obey, but so that by that steady progress in godliness, we more and more express the way in which we're enthralled with God, by the way that we love him and by the way that we obey his command to love one another. Would you stand as we prepare to go out into the rest of the week and of course across to morning tea, which will be served in the function room. And if we've got the words there, Nadia, that we can put up together, let's, let's entrust one another to God's care with these words. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen.